Hear the word of God from a selection of passages in John's gospel. You can follow along on the screen. John 3, 28 through 30. You yourselves bear witness, bear me witness, that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. John 4, 25 through 26. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. John 6, 19 through 20. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. And they were frightened, but he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. John 6, 25-35 When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it was written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. John 6, 47 through 51. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Enough said. I mean, just that group of passages together, it's amazing. So I want you to picture the wilderness for a second, desert wilderness with mountains, and picture Moses as a young man, all the paintings of Moses, he's always has this ma massive, amazing beard, right? But I want you to picture him as a younger man tending a flock of sheep. And as he's moving through this wilderness area, he discovers a bush on fire. And he's looking at this bush and, you know, it's probably common to see brush fires or forest fires and many of us have seen or experienced or seen the after effects of those things. It's all charred and burned up. It's gone. But he's sitting here pondering this. This bush is not consumed. It's just burning. 
but it's not burning up. So he's kind of walking up near it like, what? What is going on here? And suddenly, from the bush, a voice, Moses, Moses. And he's like, uh, it's the yeah, here I am. Moses, take off your shoes for where you are standing is holy ground. Well, we come to discover from the scriptures, and this is Exodus chapter 3, that this is the voice of God speaking to Moses. And he calls Moses and gives him a specific directive for his life. He is telling Moses, I want you to go into Egypt and get my people out of there. There are slaves in Egypt. And I want you to take him out. And this whole conversation takes place between Moses and God, where Moses asks God, okay, I will do this, but how am I going to be able to tell the people of Israel who sent me? I mean, am I going to go tell them, hey, y'all, I just want you to know I'm here as your rescuer and a bush that wouldn't burn up told me to come tell you I'm letting you go. And God said, I want you to tell them that... I am sent you. Now that's confusing grammatically for any language. I am sent me? Yes. I want you to tell them, I am who I am sent you. Okay. And so Moses goes to the Israelites and the rest of the story is is that as the voice of God the mouthpiece speaking and there's a lot to this story he walks through a very long process that God uses him to free the Israelites now that's important that you understand the background of that and the history of this for what we are looking at today this compendium of scriptures that you just heard read has a bearing on the burning bush. And I'll tell you how. If you have your Bibles, I would like for you to turn to John chapter 6. Now, I don't know how you feel about writing in your Bible. If you're cool with it, or if you have an app that allows you to do some highlighting, I would encourage you to look at this deeply with me today. Because there is, in John chapter 6, a repetitive nature to almost every spiritual concept that we're going to look at this morning. Time after time after time after time again, concepts and words and ideas are repeated over and over and over again. And so what I started doing as I was studying and preparing for this is I started, and I, I'm a nerd, so I have all these colored pens, all right? And so I'm underlining different concepts in different colors, and it began to really come out of the page to me. It really began to glow, like, wow. There is a message here, but there is so many repetitions of words, it can become very difficult to see. So this morning, we are going to discover from these verses in John, the identity of Jesus. Who is Jesus? Who is he saying that he is? Well, when Moses is hearing the voice of the Lord from the burning bush and is given this special name of God, it was in Hebrew. And the Old Testament records this in Hebrew in the book of Exodus. Well, the early church that had, was walking the earth at the same time as Jesus 
most of them, many of them, could no longer read or interpret the Hebrew because they had been raised up in a, underneath of a new government, a government that spoke Greek. And so there, they wanted to have the scriptures translated from Hebrew into Greek. That translation of scripture is called the Septuagint. Okay? In the Septuagint, we get a view of how the burning bush is communicated in Greek. Therefore, when we read the New Testament in its original language, which is Greek, we are also able to see what's happening here. So in the Septuagint, this Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, when you get to the burning bush passage, and God reveals to Moses his special name. He uses this phrase in Greek, ego eimi. Okay? And ego eimi in Greek is a redundant grammatical structure that is very difficult to understand and translate because it, it's, it's almost like a mouthful. It's almost too much. So... Ego alone is the informal I am. I'm here. Yo, if you're Canadian, hey, all right? It's very informal. It would have been used in that informal way. A me is the formal way of saying I am. It's the verb to be. And so when you put ego and a me together, it's like me. It gets really awkward. Okay, it's like me using me, myself, and I too much. All right. Me, myself and I are going to the store to buy me, myself and I some ice cream so that me, myself and I can truly enjoy this ice cream I purchased for me, myself and I. If I spoke like that, you would be like, this guy is nuts. Like what? Or if I spoke like that and my wife heard me, she would be like, stop. Okay. So when you combine these two Greek words, ego and me just like the Septuagint does, and just like the Greek New Testament does, it's awkward. It's redundant. Um, Piper translates it, John Piper will translate it in the Greek, I am, I am. I am, I am. Okay? So in Exodus chapter 2, I mean chapter 3, where we find this, this story of Moses, Moses says to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. That's his name. In Greek, ego, me. In Hebrew, they would even say this name. It was too holy. So they would just use consonants. And the consonants, as we all know, consonants without vowels, you can't say them. So we got this word Yahweh, and then later on, Christians started um, calling it Jehovah, because a lot of them were Germans, and so they saw the Y, and they called it a J, and all these kinds of things. So we got all this stuff mixed up. I am who I am. Say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Yahweh has sent me to you. Ego me has sent me to you. The Father sends the Son to do his work. He says in Exodus, I am sending. I am is sending you. The Father in the New Testament, we're going to see in John 6, Jesus says, I've been sent from God. So let's look at this. Let's walk through this together. In John chapter 6, 
verse 29, he says this. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. All right. So we're looking at this. We're thinking about this prophet of God who's being sent to declare the message of God. Now, this idea that the father is sending the son, we see. All right. This is where I was telling you repetitive. Okay. In John chapter six, father is mentioned 11 times in this section. And it must be understood that this is mentioned so many times. It's trying to grasp our attention. It's trying to get us to see this. So in verses 27, 32, 37, 40, 44, 45, 46, two times, 57, two times, and 65, we see the Father mentioned over and over and over. And He's the one sending. So He sent Moses... He sent Jesus to declare the message of God. Now, in John's gospel, the Son is mentioned 60 times throughout the gospel. 60 times we see the Son mentioned. And when I was in seminary, my professors would say, if you see this kind of repetition over and over and over again, you need to pay attention. The Bible's trying to tell you something. And so when we see this repetitive nature, we need to pay attention to what's going on. So the Son is mentioned 60 times in John's Gospel. And what we discover about the identity of Jesus is that He's the perfect image of the Father. He is the glory of the Father, we learn in John's Gospel. He is the one that is showing us who God is. Jesus is the glory of Yahweh. The Son is God who became flesh and dwelled among us, John 1, 14 says, and so that He could die. That's why He became flesh. John 6, 51, it says this. Look at verse 51. It says that I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. He's saying, I am giving my flesh to this world. I am going to die. That's what these things mean. So let's kind of look a little bit deeper into this. All right. In John chapter 3, the reason we had Bree read John chapter 3 is John the, John the Baptist is saying here in front of everybody in uh, John 3, 28, you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ. I'm not him. I'm not the Messiah, okay? John's the last Old Testament prophet, and he's saying, I'm not the Messiah. I must decrease so that he must decrease. He's pointing to Jesus. Then Jesus has this encounter with a Samaritan woman in chapter 4. He's sitting at this well with this woman, and he says this. They're having this conversation, and she says in verse 25, I know that the Messiah is coming. He was called the Christ when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now, we move on to John chapter 5. And there's this, I mean, in John chapter 6, there's this moment where Jesus feeds. It says 5,000 men. So they would have, culturally, they would have counted the men. But these are heads of households. So they mean what? 
20,000 people possibly sitting there that Jesus is going to feed with just a little bit of food. And after that, there's this little story between Jesus feeding the 5,000 and this part where we're looking at more deeply today, where Jesus walks on water. And so he's walking across the water here and the disciples are in this boat. It's a storm. They're rowing against the waves. It's really hard to get across the water. And all of a sudden they see a figure walking on the water and they're terrified. Like, oh my gosh, it's a ghost, right? So they're just freaking out. And what happens? It says, um, when they rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. You know what he says to them? In English, we don't see it as well. He says, I am. The voice of Jesus walking on the water is the same voice from the burning bush making a declaration, I am. And it comforts the disciples. Immediately, everything calms down. The storm's gone. Jesus is in the boat. says they're at the other side. So in John, we're going to see as we look at the rest of John together as a church, there are these famous statements that Jesus makes. They're called I am statements. And biographers and historians and uh, theologians and all these things have always said that there are seven. And that's a nice, neat number for the Bible, that, that there would be seven I am statements. But for whatever reason, they always leave this one out. So I would say there are eight. And this is the first. That Jesus declares to the disciples in the boat that He is Yahweh. He is Yahweh. He is making Himself have the name of God. The special revealed name from the burning bush that was given to Moses. And I would say is the same voice. They're hearing the same voice that Moses hears. It is Jesus speaking to them. And then we move on into this next section. Now these people, they have just been fed this is the, in, in verses 22 and on, this is the same crowd. They were fed. 20,000 or so people were fed bread and fish by Jesus. And so they're looking for him. They can't find him because he walked across the sea. And he never mentions that again. They even ask him, like, how did you get over here? He doesn't say, I walked, right? He just leaves it. But he says to them, I say to you, verses 20, in verse 26, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. So he's saying, you're looking for these signs from God. You're, 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 you're seeking some things, but you're seeking the wrong thing. You, you like the fact that I filled your belly. And you see, that's, that's really what's going on here. Before he walks across the lake, it actually says that they saw this happen, this miracle happen where Jesus fed all these people. And look at chapter 6, uh, verse 15. Perceiving, this is Jesus, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew. And they're like, wow, this guy could feed us forever. Like, what kind of king would this be? I mean, he can heal people. He can raise people from the dead. He can feed us every meal. It's like a car in every garage. You know what I mean? This guy's great. 
Make him king. Right? This would be awesome if he could be our king. And Jesus is like, whoa, 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 I'm out of here. Walks across the ocean or the sea. And then they all follow him. They get, they get into other boats and they get across. And then they're like, how did he get here? All right. And they're standing there and he's saying, you, you ate yesterday and that's what you want again. And he says to them, he's like, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And they said to him, and, and talk about missing it again, they said to him, what do we do? What do we do to be doing the works of God? They're religious people. These are religious people. And I think that they're misunderstanding the signs that they're seeing. They're, they're confused about what's going on because they don't know the identity of Jesus. So who is Jesus? Jesus is the I am. He is Yahweh. He is fully God, yet fully man. I am. He says, you know who I am? I am. Ego a me. I am. I am. That's who I am. I am. And he he just says it so many times in this passage. We're going to look at that. So these seven traditional I am statements are found throughout John. In John 6.35, he says, I am the bread of life. He is the one who sustains us. In John 8.12, he says, I am the light of the world. He shines the light of the glory of God on our dark hearts and on dark lands like in the Gambia. In John 10, 7, I am the door. He provides access to God. In John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. He's going to guide his children like sheep. In John eleven twenty five, I am the resurrection and the life. Though we might die, in him we will live. In John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life showing us the true way to truly live and gain eternal life. In John 15, 1, I am the true vine connecting us to the Father. This is who Jesus is. And every one of those statements, he uses the divine name of God, I am. Jesus is also not only the I am, he's also the voice. He is the voice that speaks from the burning bush. He is the voice that the, the disciples hear as he walks in the water. He is the voice that the people hear bless the loaves and the fish and turn them into a multiplication of food. He is the voice that this hurting young woman hears at the well that day. He is the voice that we as the church hear even today. He reveals himself with this voice. In John chapter 6, verse 20, his voice even comforts the disciples in their terror. That same voice would speak creation into existence in John chapter 1 when it calls him the Word, which is another way of saying he's the voice. The Word of God is made flesh. Our Bibles steady our minds and our hearts, knowing the voice of Christ found in Scripture. I don't need a word from somebody giving me a word of prophecy or a word spoken over me. I need the voice from the burning bush, which is the word of God found in the scriptures. 
Luther would say that the Spirit of God will always speak the Word of God, or else it would be the voice of the devil himself. The Samaritan woman, the crowd, us, we all hear this voice in God's Word, and we find comfort. Oftentimes, we Americans, Westerners, the Western world, we seek comfort in so many different things. We seek answers from so many different sources. Yet, we, f- we find the time to do so much, but we lack the time to spend in God's Word. And that's where we will know God, is when we hear His voice in His Word, declared by His Spirit as we soak it in. So they misunderstood these people. They they didn't understand what voice they were hearing. They were looking for something else. Jesus is the I am. Jesus is the voice. And Jesus is also the provider. He feeds 5,000 people. So the crowd, they're seeking bread. They're actually seeking manna, really. There's so many parallels to what's happening in Exodus and Moses to what's happening now. You see, they've heard the stories of Moses in the wilderness and this idea, Moses and the people of Israel, as they wandered in the desert for 40 years, they were given bread every single day. It was called manna. This bread would just show up like dew on the ground. You know, it would be nice if I didn't have to cook or my wife didn't have to cook and clean up and all that kind of stuff. Just food just showed up and it was cooked on the stove like, hey, everybody, come get it. You look in the pot. What is it tonight? Man, God provided that. Look at that. That would be awesome because cooking takes a lot of time. And so these people are thinking like, man, if he's our king, then every single day we're going to get manna again. And they even say that to him. They say, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven. You're confused. You know, I think these people thought they were doing the right thing. I don't want to cast too much blame because I get way confused about stuff in life myself. I think they're, look, they're trying to look back to the old days. I can remember those good old days when we were wandering lost in the wilderness <laughs> and food was provided for us, water was provided for us. And so they're, they're, they're misinterpreting the signs. They want God's food. That's not bad. They want to eat God's food. Who wouldn't want to eat God's food? They long for the biblical Moses, this leader, who would deliver them, they're looking for deliverance. That's not bad. I want that too. Um, they knew the scriptures. I mean, they're like, hey, we, we, we know about this stuff. We know about Moses. We didn't know a lot about Moses. Actually, if you read John 6, there's a lot of reference to the Old Testament. From a, if you read John, there's a lot of reference to the Old Testament. A lot of people know the scriptures. Man, Christians a lot of times know the Scripture. We know God's Word. But do we know the Spirit of God's Word? You know, a lot of times we're all about speaking and doing. That's what these people are like. Well, He's like, 
do the work for the food that perishes. He says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. And as soon as he says that, he said, what work do we need to do? What do I need to do, God? You tell me. I mean, if I, if I pray every day, will you bless my family? If I memorize the gospel of John, does that make me now tight with you? Like that's assurance of my salvation. How do I know? What do I need to do to do the work, God? Do I, do I give to this organization? Do I serve in this way? What kinds of things, God? What will make me a Christian? What will make me a good Christian? What will make me close to God? We search. We ask these questions. We also misinterpret the signs. We misunderstand even what the scriptures are saying. You know what else I noticed? When Jesus starts teaching, it's, it's similar to Israel in the wilderness, is they start grumbling. They grumble like the Israelites. In verse 41, 43, and 61, they grumble. They complain. You know, in the wilderness, the Israelites are complaining. So now Jesus is teaching them, and they're grumbling again. Oh, you know, I want bread. Well, I am the bread. I want bread! Right? And so he's just repeating himself over and over and over again. They need to know when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, that they shouldn't misunderstand that as manna. We shouldn't misunderstand this as physical food. You know, it's possible to have grown up in church, to have perfect attendance records, to call ourselves Christians. It's possible to do that, but not have truly believed. It's possible to know the right answers. It's possible to be familiar with all the right things, and yet not believe. It's possible. And this is where Jesus is hammering in in John 6. I want you to know. He said, for whatever reason, many people miss Jesus here. Uh, maybe we're simply bored of Jesus. And, and in some people's lives, social activism becomes the stronger affection. Oh man, I'm a believer. I'm a follower of God. I am so involved in justice mission. Or maybe there is something for which we crave materially that distracts us. And Jesus isn't quite as exciting as that thing or that person or that addiction. And so I'm pursuing those things. And sometimes we will even have a false gospel that says, if I do these things, God will give those things to me. So we pursue those things. Or potentially you or someone you love is suffering. And healing seems more important than Jesus at the time because that's what he can do for you. And you know what? I stand here before you condemned of even thinking those things in my own life from time to time. Misunderstanding the signs. Misunderstanding the blessings. So I seek other things. I think these people misunderstood Moses. They misunderstood Jesus when he fed them. You know, in verse 14, chapter 6, 14, it says, uh, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this indeed, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. They're quoting from Deuteronomy. They are interpreting scripture at this point. They believe Jesus is the prophet. And in 6, 15, what are they going to do? They're going to take him by force. 
Because that's what we do with the Messiah. We figure out who he is and then we force him to do our bidding. Because they wanted out from under the rule of a tyrannical government. They wanted to be fed every day. They wanted their needs met. They wanted to be healed of their suffering. I get that. Oh my gosh, I get that. I understand that sentimentality. And so we, we get all discombobulated in our thinking. So Jesus, though he's wanting them to understand he's the provider, but he's not here to rid the world of hunger and hand out craft coffee. That's not, what he's, that's not what he's here to do. Now, he will do that, praise God. He will heal us. He will provide for us. He steps in at times when it's unbelievable. I mean, so I, I have this car, right, that over Christmas just stopped working. It just quit. Like, Gasoline begins to pour out the tailpipe. All right, this is not something that cars are supposed to do, okay? And this guy even looks at it, he's like, man, you know that's a fire hazard. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure, gasoline rolling down the road. I mean, it's a fire hazard for everybody involved, right? This car just shuts down. Like, I needed this car to go for a really long time. Like, I needed this car to be like manna. Like, every day it just starts, it's a miracle, yes, go, all right? And all the times I stood up here and made a declaration about how amazing Subarus are, mine's dead. <laughs> yes. But I literally went to Jesus like, what in the world am I supposed to do? I don't have any money to buy this car. I don't. What do I do? And I want to tell you, I, I will say that Jesus does meet our needs. He provided a car for us in like this miraculous way. It just came together. And, you know, he's got a sense of humor and he's got a great love for us because it is a Subaru. <laughs> so I, I tell you that funny story because I don't want you to think that I'm sitting here saying that God doesn't provide for us. He does. Man, my wife is walking every day in newness of health. Praise God. But if that's all I live for, if that's all I'm looking to Jesus to provide, then I miss the signs. I miss it. And so this I am is greater than Moses. This I am is eternal food. This I am is eternal drink. This I am is eternal joy. This I am is eternal satisfaction. This is the one of whom Moses spoke. Truly, this is him. He is. John the Baptist says, he's the one. He is. The Samaritan woman at the well, he's the one. He is. Jesus walking on the water, I'm the one. He is. He's the one. He is our all-sufficient, all-encompassing joy. So who is Jesus? Jesus is the great I Am. He is the bread of life. And what did He come to accomplish? He says this, I am the one who came down. Here, again, repetition. Six times in John 6, Jesus says, I'm the one who came down. 
Four times he says, I am the one who raises up. What does Jesus do? He comes down in order to raise us up. He comes down as the sent one in order to raise us up to new life. We're going to get a new body and have flesh like Jesus. A glorified body. A resurrection body one day. Because we're going to be lifted up. Philippians 3, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him to subject all things to Himself. Praise God. Man, I want that heavenly body. As I right now, for the third time, am walking this day with Lyme bacteria in my body. I want the heavenly body as I fight Lyme's disease. I want it. He is coming down to raise us up again. He came down to give us resurrected lives. And we long for that day. The crowds, we, us, me, we want to know what we have to be doing to earn or get this satisfaction. It's not something we do. It was done for us. And it's a free gift given to us. Why did Jesus do this? Why did He come down in order to die on the cross to save us from sin? He did it because of love. He loves us. We are His children. This is the message of the church. This is the message of the Bible. This is our message for today. Jesus came down in order to give His life. When He says this stuff in here about eating His flesh and drinking His blood, everybody got all confused. They went all like, then Jesus is a cannibal. Like, what? But they're say, He's saying, I came to give my life as a sacrifice for you. I came to be broken and poured out. I came in order to take the place that you should be. This should be you. You should be dying. And we are. We feel the effects of death every day. Yet, He gives life to those who will truly partake of Him. He came down in order that the Father would send Him some who would eat His flesh and drink His blood. Not literally. His physical death is in view here. But the sacrifice of God in order to give us broken flesh, spilled blood, and faith in this sacrifice leads to what He says is eternal life. How many times did eternal life... Nine, ten, eleven times he says, I came to give you life, eternal life. He wants us to see and know that. Through his grace, he pours out his body and is sacrificed on our behalf. So I want to close us to, with this a response. Now we could respond like the Pharisees, grumble and roll our eyes like, what in the world is this guy talking about? Eat his flesh and drink his blood? What an idiot. And that's how some respond. Even some of his disciples at the end of John chapter 6 said, we can't do this anymore. Six, 
verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Like, man, you're weird, dude. Or like Peter says this, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are I am. You are the Holy One of God. He is the bread of life. We have been created that our souls will crave this glory. We were made for it. It's what takes your breath away in the beauty of the sunset or blows your mind in the majesty of the universe when those stars come out at night. It's what you marvel at in the complexity of atoms and cells and nuclear fission. It's the hunger that we can't describe but makes us long to be united with something that we see in this. The Bible says that the heavens declare the glory of God, which means that they're telling us, they're shouting to us about God's glory. John Piper says, he shouts with clouds, he shouts with blue expanse, he shouts with gold on the horizons, he shouts with galaxies and stars, he's shouting, I am glorious, open your eyes, do you see it? Do you love it? Because you were made for it. This is why we exist, to see that. Everything's pointing to that. All the glory that I thought was so attractive in the world is nothing compared to this glory that the world is showing me in the creation. So my closing admonition to you is take of the bread of life and eat. It's free. Christ died in our place. He rose again from the dead. He lived a perfect life of righteousness for us. He stands freely available to everyone who will have him and stop working for him and start eating the bread of heaven and finding him to be precious. So let's close our eyes together and let's just take a moment to think about the preciousness of the body and the blood of Jesus. That he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. So close your eyes for a second.